The whole purpose of the military health system is to support the national defense strategy, which means that everything that we do has to make the United States Department of Defense better, faster, stronger. What we do, the decisions that we made, will be made to assure readiness in support of the national defense strategy such that whatever we send, we, the Department of Defense, as we send forces around the world, that we can look ourselves uh, in the mirror and say, yep, I've done everything I can to strengthen the United States Department of Defense. Welcome to the Policy Vets podcast, engaging with leaders, scholars, and strong voices to fill a void in support of policy development for America's veterans. With your host, former Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dr. David Shilkin, and former Executive Director of the American Legion, Lou Chelley. Today, part two with Lieutenant General Ron Place, Director of the Defense Health Agency. You know, one of the things, General Place, that you talked about early on was the size and scope of the Defense Health Agency and your responsibilities. And between the uniform members, between the retirees and their families, it's about 9.6 million people. That's about the same size as the VA healthcare system in terms of the number of veterans that it cares for. Do you see opportunities for these two agencies to work closer together in the future? I, I think anybody who, who has a good understanding of the systems looks at it and goes, oh my goodness, there are so much opportunities. The, the challenge that I think that you likely saw, and, and certainly I see uh, continuing today, is we have so much invested in our existing systems to, to overcome those sunk costs to, to collaborate are often relatively immense. So what we really have to do then is play the long game. And at what point when it comes to recapitalization of systems or recapitalization of facilities or whatever it is, plan for the long term so that we're not investing in things that then we're just throwing away resources. And the only way that to do that is, of course, to collaborate for it. But in the short term, there are some wins, right? The d- department in some locations has some underutilized space and underutilized resources. In some locations, the VA is growing by leaps and bounds with eligible uh, beneficiaries. And so those are, those are easy wins that we can come together and solve. We've already... Uh, you know, the, the major challenge that we have is using the same electronic health record. The departments have already decided to do that. If you look at a couple of locations where we have shared facility space, truly shared facility space, whether that's at Travis Air Force Base or or the north side of Chicago with uh, the combined facility. So those are all just particular instances. Now, when it comes to supporting functions, we're looking really hard at, at how we can do the, the our our billing or rather how we can not bill each other and rather just, you know, trade like we used to. I'll trade you a, you know, a, a duck for, for a wheelbarrow or whatever it is. How can we, how can we, instead of paying each other for work, how can we just collaborate and, and let it work itself out by doing it that way? Those are all ways I think that we can work together, but even more to that, um, uh, I, I, th- I think you'll agree with this, at least I hope so, that it's not just the VHA and the, the Department of Defense either. It's the entire federal health system. So whether it's the Bureau of Prisons or the Indian Health Service or the United States Public Health Service, et cetera, that's all federal medicine. And in many cases, there's, there are lots of opportunities for us to collaborate there, either the DOD with one of those organizations, the VHA with one of those organizations, or best case scenario, where it's all of us together. I think a lot of people are going to be very happy to hear that that's your belief. Um, You know, members of Congress and even sometimes the White House really wants us to work closer together. 
And it's very hard to force that unless that comes from within the organizations and there's a belief that there's value there. It doesn't happen. And really sounds to me like you believe that there, those opportunities do exist. And um, it's really good to hear that. Yeah, thanks. Well, if I could do one, one more comment to that. I, I just fundamentally believe every single veteran used to be a service member. Man, they're just, they're one of us. So this idea somehow that it's different. Now there's benefits that come from retirement and everybody gets that. But every single veteran used to be a service member. That means they used to wear this cloth just like I do. So I, I think every single person, I'd be, I'd be stunned, in fact, if I found anybody within the DHA who didn't feel the same way about uh, our veterans, that they're just one of us. Right. I'd like to take you back to a, a quote that you that you said earlier that I thought was so meaningful, and I believe I will be stealing it later. Um, and to paraphrase, you said, "The only victor in war is medicine." And you know, so with that foundation, I'd like to ask you: you have some plans, uh, and you had plans about you know, warfighter medicine going forward for VHA. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how important that is to the mission? Sure. Well, the, the whole purpose of the military health system is to support the national defense strategy, which means that everything that we do has to make the United States Department of Defense better, faster, stronger, better ready, whatever it is that the, the methodology that you choose to evaluate us. Now there's healthcare delivery associated with that or, or preventive medicine services that are, so, that are associated with that, no doubt about it, but it must be done in a way that furthers the, the whole mission of the department of defense, which is the national defense strategy. So in order to do that, we look at, at two main elements of readiness. Now, the first is that every member of the force is ready to be sent anywhere around the world. We call that deployments, but deployed anywhere around the world to do whatever is the mission of the United States anywhere. Well, in order to do that, you have to be medically ready, right? You have to be physically, emotionally, uh, uh, spiritually, in some cases, prepared to be able to do that mission. And some of that, there's some medical ramifications that, that would get in the way of that. Well, our job is first to, to the greatest degree possible, prevent that from ever happening, that no matter what, everybody just stays healthy. But, but then if they can't stay healthy for whatever reason, then our job is to as quickly and effectively as possible return them to optimal health so that they can be part of the mission set. So that's the first part of readiness. And, and the, the military health system must always support that. The second is, you know, that's the home team mission where we send people on the, on the away team. That means that from a medical perspective, we also need a traveling team. So we have to have medical units that are able to do that around the world as well. Well, in order to do that, that means in our platform, so our clinics, our hospitals, our medical centers, our training bases, our, you name it, we have to first train and then maintain the currency and competency of our medical teams, both individually and collectively. And, and then for our, our, our facilities, again, our hospitals and our clinics, they must be the training platforms for that, that sustained currency and competency for those medical teams anywhere around the world. So no matter what we do, the decisions that we made will be made to assure readiness in support of the national defense strategy such that whatever we send, we, the Department of Defense, as we send forces around the world, that we can look ourselves uh, in the mirror and say, yep, I've done everything I can to strengthen the United States Department of Defense. And that's our mission set. Now, in order to do that, we should be looking at tooth to tail. What I mean is how much of that is, is healthcare delivery, how much of that is true preventive medicine services, and how much of that is churn, administrative, bureaucracy, all that sort of stuff. 
and effectively eliminate as much of that morass that, you know, that giant hairball that large bureaucratic organizations can be, make that as small as possible, but still maintain the bureaucracy where needed, but then then augment every bit of resource that we have to that healthcare delivery to that fighting force so that they can be they can be as as powerful as possible with the whole idea that 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 everyone else every you know malfeasant actor across the world looks at potential conflict with the United States and says nope not worth it yeah general um are there other priorities that you haven't yet mentioned that you have for the Defense Health Agency over the next couple of years? Sure. So one of the, the most important is the idea that uh, that the system should be easy to use. Now, Mr. Secretary, I don't know how much challenge that you had with that and, and uh, suggestions from veterans about how to make the system more user-friendly, but I get those all the time. And, and the most uh, important one that I get is as opposed to a true enterprise system, we have franchises and each of our hospitals or clinics are just a little bit different. And the way we make appointments are just a little bit different. The way the pharmacy works is just a little bit different. And with the mobility of our population, in particular, the uniform force and their family members, that's not user-friendly for them. And in fact, it probably leads to some errors in our systems where they assumed something was going to happen because that's the way it worked in their last installation. It's not going to happen. And so standardization of patient-facing administrative process. So the way you make an appointment, it's the same. The, the website, so that you, how you can get understanding about each of our individual hospitals or clinics is standardized. The way the pharmacy works, the way referrals off the installation, whether it's to the VA or, or, or to a, you know, another doctor's office or, or another facility out in the community, that's the same. The way information comes from those outside organizations back into our codified electronic health record is all the same. So that once you learn how to use the system, then you know how to use the system. And we don't have errors of omission because people just don't understand how it's supposed to work. I strongly believe that medicine is complex. And, and one of our responsibilities is to take away that complexity for what the patient sees. We can understand the complexity inside the organization, but it should be relatively easy to understand for the users. And all the other complexities should be on our shoulders, not on those. That's the first thing, that that uh, those patient-facing administrative functions. With the whole idea then that our patients, they look at us as, as a value add, that they say, oh, thank God, I get my health care in the military health system. And whether I get it on the installation or through a partner somewhere else, the VA or, or downtown, they care about me. They, they're making sure that I get what I need and everything that can be done to optimize my health is already being done. So, so that's the first thing we haven't talked about. And then the second thing is, is what are we doing looking inside to our staff? And I got into healthcare for a reason. And it's because I thought this is an incredible opportunity. It just the idea of being able to be a surgeon and, and, and people saying, yes, it's OK. You can make an incision in me and look inside and figure out what's not what's not right and fix it and put me back together again. Man, what an incredible privilege. Well, we all got into it for whatever our specialty is, physicians and nurses and therapists, et cetera, uh, to make a difference in people's lives. And oh, man, what an incredible honor it is. But by the same token, we're expecting to be fulfilled in what we're doing. And, and if we're spending a lot of time doing things that don't seem to be value added and taking us away from this sense of fulfillment, then we're probably not doing things right. So the second major um, additional task that, that, that we're trying to work through here in the Defense Health Agency and across the military health system is how can we offload non-value added tasks for that clinical staff or even the administrative staff that are doing you know, patient-facing functions so that sense of fulfillment can be optimized. 
that, that we want to come to work and that we get joy in what we do. And, and whatever the bureaucratic things that we're, we're still required to do is tolerable because we can see why they're required to be able to do what we really want to do, which is that, you know, that, that primary specialty or whatever is we train to do. So those are two big functions that are separate and distinct from the electronic health record and the readiness functions and COVID response and, and all those other things that we're focusing on. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. I think even in private sector medicine, they would share those goals with you too. And you have, of course, the added value of people coming to work being really clear about their mission and what they're doing for their country. And I think when you add all that together, people can really get behind the type of vision that you have for the Defense Health Agency. So we really want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for your incredible service over a great career and wish you the best in terms of uh, your continued leadership in this such important part of the Department of Defense. Well, you're very welcome. I mean, to me, it's a privilege and an honor to be to be allowed to be enabled to to lead the Defense Health Agency as part of a significant part of the military health system. And and and, Mr. Secretary, I'll back up exactly what you said. It's an incredible privilege to be able to support America's sons and daughters. That there's not a single person who doesn't come to work in the in the military health system and, and doesn't think, man, what an incredible population we serve. So just being part of healthcare is you know it's an honor in and of itself. But to do it for this specific, unique population, and we're just thrilled uh, to be able to do it. And and we, and we in terms of this conversation, I'm really appreciative to both of you to having the conversation so that I can extol the, the great work that is being done by the men and women in, in uniform who are taking care of America's sons and daughters. And, and our ability to, to talk about that with you is, uh, is really special to me. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, General Place. We, we're, we're proud to be here with you. Uh, I am proud to be a patient in your service. And this was really a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Lieutenant General Place. Make sure you join us next week when we'll be speaking with Chris Nowinski of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. We're going to be talking about what happens to warfighters' brains when they suffer too many concussive blasts. You do not want to miss this conversation. I promise you that. Thanks for listening to the Policy Vets podcast. For more information about projects and other podcasts, go to policyvets.org.